Well, hello. Welcome to Open Life today. Um, today we're talking about the preparation of Jesus. And so the kind of the purpose of that little video as an intro is because John the Baptist, who we're going to be talking about today, he basically baptized people. So we're going to talk about baptism a little bit today as well. So I, was, I saw it online and I thought it was kind of a cool artistic expression of what baptism is. Um, but so if you, this is your first time here in a couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of Luke. And that's kind of our plan for, for the long while, long future, is just when we walk through the book of Luke talking about Jesus and looking at his life and kind of how he lived his life and how we can apply it to the way that we live our lives. And so if, if this is your first time or if it's the first time in a while, um, all of our messages are on our website, livinglifeopen.com, or you can find them on iTunes as well. Um, but if you want to kind of catch up and kind of read through Luke and follow along with us, you're more than welcome to do that um, on our website. But um, so we're talking about, we've talked about um, two characters basically for the past few weeks. We've talked about John, um, son of Zechariah and son of Elizabeth, and we've talked about Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. And so today we're going to be focusing basically for the last time on the life of John and um, kind of like what his purpose was in the story of Jesus. And we've really seen two, these two stories of Jesus and John, and they're paralleled at the beginning of Luke um, because they're very important to the story and to the makeup for Luke, the author um, of this book that we're walking through, of his purpose of explaining who Jesus is. It's important to know what John's purpose was and why he was doing that. And so just to clear up any confusion, because a lot of times when you read the Bible, there's people with the same name, and like, are they the same person? So when we talk about John the Baptist, we're not talking about John, who we'll read about later, the disciple. And so I remember when I was like a kid, I'm like, man, this John guy is like, he's everywhere. And so then I realized John the Baptist is different than John the disciple, which we'll read later on in the coming weeks. And so just so that you know, we're talking about John known as the Baptist, and he's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and most, just like Jesus, he's the fulfillment of a promise of God. And so as we read in Luke 3, we see that the role of John in the story is to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And so hence we're in the part three of our message series, the preparation for Jesus. And so he's basically just saying, you know what, there's a great event that is coming. And so we'll read his story about how he prepares people for the coming of Jesus. And so there's so many ways to look at John's message and find applications in our own lives. So when we read the story this morning, I want you to focus on two ways that we can apply it to our lives, how we can apply this set of scripture uh, to our hearts and to the way that we live our lives. The first one is that we can personally respond to it. That when we read this passage and read the passages that are part of the talk today, that we can personally see how it affects our lives and how we can personally respond to it in our own hearts and in our own lives. And then the second way is a kind of another response, but the second way is for us to see how we can impact others with John's message. Because that's John's whole thing, is he's preparing the way for Jesus so that many people would see and respond to Jesus' teaching. So we'll talk about kind of the specifics of that um, after we read the passage. But think in your own heart. How can I respond to it personally, but how can I use John's message to prepare other people for Jesus as well? So it's a two-part thing. Uh, just how can we apply it for ourselves, and how can we apply it for others and help others see that? So let that mindset guide you as we read John's story this morning. So we're going to pick it up in John 3, 
verse 1. And so it starts out like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Albalin. Man, you know, as much as I tried to practice those names, you know, when I'm up here, it just never comes out the way you want it to. But verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John is preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is about to come onto the scene, and John is beginning to prepare people's hearts for what's about to come. And so to start of the story, I want to kind of tell you about a personal story that happened to me this past Thanksgiving. And so uh, a few months before Thanksgiving, um, Danny and I were trying to figure out whose family we're going to be going to have Thanksgiving with. And, you know, for a lot of families, it's a very controversial decision, is who do you spend the holidays with? Do you spend it with his parents, or do you spend it with her parents? If you spend Thanksgiving with these parents, does that mean you have to go to Christmas for these parents? And so for us, it wasn't that big of a deal, but we had decided that we were going to go. It worked out for our, all of our family schedules, and to be with the most family possible, to be with her parents in Hermiston, Oregon, for Thanksgiving. And so Unfortunately, what happened was I got a new job, and so I wasn't able to take— the only day I could get off was Thanksgiving itself. And so to drive to Hermiston would have been a long trip just to go for like one day and then shoot back and come back for the work. So what we decided was—this is like one of the only times Danny would get to see her brothers. So we decided, well, she should go, and I'll just stay here. And so it was kind of a bummer. You know, no one likes to spend holidays by themselves. I was going to have to spend Thanksgiving by myself, and Danny was also taking my dog. So I was literally going to be all alone, you know, at home, like by myself. And so but the good thing was, is I have great friends, and so they, we, we figured it out. And so it was, a, it was a great Thanksgiving. Well, in order for me to, um, like, make it feel like a home, like a Thanksgiving that I, like, cherish— I'm like, you know what I should do? I should make rolls. I should like, make my mom's rolls that I really like, and I'll take them to my dinner, like the dinner that I'm going to, and it'll be great. Everyone will just have these awesome rolls. Everyone's going to love them. And so uh, I had my mom. I, t- I, like, I called her and said, hey, can you uh, send me an email of the recipe and just tell me all the ingredients? 
So she did, and I'm looking over it, and I'm like, this should be easy enough. Like, it's just rolls. It's like, it, she's like, just make sure you do them the night before, and then bake them before you go, and they'll be like, perfect. And so I'm like, okay. And so I go to the store, I get everything, you know, flour, yeast, what, everything. I don't even remember all this stuff. Sugar, there's a little bit of salt. I had everything there. Like, the, the problem wasn't the ingredients. And so uh, I, put, I mix everything up. I let them sit overnight, and so I come the next morning ready to bake them, and there's just something a little off about the dough. It's like, it just seemed, I like, I used to work in a cafe, and I used to bake sometimes, like, I've never seen, I, but I did, mostly did cinnamon rolls, and so I'm like looking, and I'm like, this just does not look like bread that I've ever made in the past. And somebody, you know what, I've never made these ones before, so I'm just going to go with it. So I, I, like, individualize them, I roll them, I put them on the pan, put them in the oven, they come out, and they're, like, they're the same size as when I put them on the pan to bake them. And so I'm like, man, they don't look right. They rose a little bit, but, you know, who am I to judge yet? I just need to try them. And so I try them, and they're, like, the most dense, hard rolls, dinner rolls that you have ever, like, laid your teeth into. I mean, you couldn't even chew through them. It was, like, so bad. And so I was, like, I literally picked one up, and I'm, like, I could, like, throw it out my window, and it would break the window. It would go through the window because it was, like, rock hard. And so it was, like, really funny because I had all the ingredients right. I followed all the directions that I read. I mean, I feel like I read them all correctly and did everything right. But yet something in the preparation went wrong. My preparation for these dinner rolls went way wrong, somewhere along the line. So I was like, I, I like, I'm like, Mom, I really think your recipe is like messed up. Like, she's like, I send it to you just how I do it every time. And so I'm like, okay. So I tried the next bags. So they're all bad. So basically what I do is I have the pans, they cooled off. And so I just take them and I put them in the trash. Because I'm like, I cannot serve these. This would be so embarrassing. Like, someone would, like, chip a tooth on these things. And so what I do is I'm headed off to my party. I live by Hagen, and so I just pulled right in there. They, luckily, they're open on Thanksgiving. Grabbed these two packs of croissant rolls and took them uh, to my dinner party. I thought about trying to pass them off as I baked them, but they are clearly not, like, made by me. So I, I just decided to say, hey, you know what? I tried to make these homemade, but... These ones might even be better. And so sure enough, these were like awesome croissant rolls that we had. And so Thanksgiving was not ruined. Like we made it through. But what I figured out is in my preparation is when I had the yeast, I didn't use warm water to ac- activate the yeast when I was mixing it in. And so that, that one step just ruined the whole rolls. Like, and literally, I like, you know, I'm talking about like an hour of preparation just wasted because I forgot one simple step, the temperature of the water that I used in the ingredients. And so I tell this story to say that like the preparation is important. And yeah, I'm talking about dinner rolls, but the preparation for Jesus coming to this earth was important to God that he sent someone in the form of a, of a boy who grew up just like Jesus did, but a promise to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And so it's like, for the Jews, these are people that were chosen by God. They were sons of Abraham. They like had this relationship, special relationship with God, but yet they still needed to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. 
They needed to be shown, like, what was Jesus actually going to do? And so we see some, some really important things. And um, John's role in the story of Jesus is vital because he's preparing people for who Jesus is. So we start out with this setting given by Luke. He's saying, he re, all those names that I couldn't pronounce at the beginning, those are political and spiritual leaders at this time. So he's kind of setting the picture of what is going on. You have this political rule, you have this spiritual rule, and then he tells about John, and he's just sitting in the desert. And this is to kind of show the importance that John isn't under the rule of the political side, and he's not rule under the spiritual side. The only person that John has to um, put himself under as far as power is God himself, and then you'll read his response later, but he puts himself under Jesus as well. John is sent by God. He's a prophet, and he's the first prophet in a long time. But realize that John's role here is not to be a political overthrow of the government. The Jews wanted to be set free from the Roman government. That's not John's role here. John's role is to point to God and to point to the coming of Jesus. And so we can understand that Luke sees John as a prophet because of the way he phrases it. He calls, he says in his description of um, John, he says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. If you look at other Old Testament passages, when they talk about prophets, they often say, the word of God came to blank, son of blank. It's him setting up John as the first prophet in a long time. The time of God no longer speaking to his people has ended, and God has sent a new prophet to prepare the way for Jesus. So the message that John brings in this desert is a new message. It's the, Luke says it's a preaching, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so put yourself in this story as a Jew. You have the law of the Lord, you live a religious life, and then you have this guy named John saying, that doesn't really matter because I'm preaching a, a, a word of baptism so that you can repent from your sins and be forgiven for those things. Jesus' time to speak and communicate with the people is coming, but John is preparing hearts. He's calling people out for their preconceived ideas and notions of what it means to know God and to be in relationship with him. The Jews thought what they knew what it meant to be saved. They thought they knew what it meant to be forgiven. And John is trying to make Jesus' message easier for them to interpret, to comprehend, and to live out in their own lives. And one of the ways John does this is by using baptism. And it's a way to communicate the change that needs to happen in people's lives and in their hearts. The idea of people cleansing themselves was not foreign to the Jews, but they didn't know it as something that everyone should do. In Exodus 40, 12, uh, the law says, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So this was done for priests. This is like they washed before they went into the presence of God. Before they were anointed, they made sure they were cleansed, that they, the cleansing of their outside was like a symbol for their inside to become before God in a cleanly way. But what John is extending to the Jews is that no longer is this just for the priests. No longer is it just for the spiritual elite. But he's saying everyone now has a choice to be baptized, to repent from your sins, and have forgiveness. It's a personal decision. For John, baptism is the prophecy, prophecy of what Jesus will do. It's the preparation for the coming of Jesus' message. But once Jesus comes, we find out that baptism will always point to Jesus. 
baptism after Jesus becomes the outward expression of the inward change in our hearts. And so that's the first point today, is that baptism always points to Jesus. Before Jesus comes, John uses baptism to point to what Jesus will do. But when after Jesus comes, after he lives his life, after he dies and then he raises again, baptism points back to how Jesus lived his life and what he did for us, the sacrifice he made. Baptism becomes a crucial aspect of the early church because it's what Jesus commanded to the disciples, the last thing before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, baptism was repent, for Jesus is near. But after Jesus baptism was Jesus came, died, and rose again. Now believe and let that expression be a symbol for the, the process that your spirit goes through when you choose to follow him, when you choose to align yourself with Jesus. We were, we'll hear about Jesus' baptism next week, but for us, when we are baptized, listen to what scripture says about it. This is a verse that was spoken in the video But Paul explains it in Romans 6, 3 through 4. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we're baptized, we join with Jesus in his death, like a going under. That's what it symbolizes. And when we come out... It symbolizes us joining with his resurrection. We are now a new person. We are a new creation. We have a new spirit inside of us. And so it's like a, it's a big deal. It's a great thing. Colossians 2.12 says, explaining baptism also, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Galatians 3.26-27 says, you, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism always points to Jesus. Baptism is how we join with him and show it in a physical, a tangible way, the inward change that's happening inside of us. I wanted to take the time today to say that if you've never been baptized and you've chosen to follow Jesus— Like, we want to know about it because we want to let you know the next time that we're having, like, an organized baptism service. We usually do it in August, but if you've never been baptized and taken that step to, like, do that action, like, you might think it's just, well, it's just something that I don't have to do. And you're right. It's not like it's going to hold you from salvation if you choose not to be baptized. If people teach that, they're just wrong because the, the, our salvation comes from our choice to believe and repent of our sin. But if you've never been baptized, then you're missing out on just the occasion to tell people about it, to express it in a way that's like tangible for people to see that says, I'm choosing now to follow Jesus. So if you've never been baptized and you would like to have information on the next time we do it, please mark that on your connection card sometime today before the end of service when we put them in the buckets, because then we can communicate with you and walk with you through that and so that you can know and we can even explain it more to you what that choice is. But it's an awesome decision. Baptism is not something to be afraid of. Baptism is something to really rejoice and to celebrate with friends and family and to be just like an 
a watermark moment in your life to say, you know what, this is when I truly decided to like make my faith in Jesus public and real. And so, but getting back to when John is baptizing people, it's not the action of being baptized that saves you. John was baptizing people, but he said it was for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is the expression of the belief in God. So if you've never been baptized, don't feel as if your salvation is hanging on a thread because you've never been dunked in some water. Because it's not. But it's that expression, that like, joyous occasion when we can celebrate with you. John is preparing the way of Jesus by baptizing people. But it's also accompanied with a strong emphasis on repentance. The simplest definition to give you is that repentance means turning back on your sin and turning your face towards God. So if your sin is over here and God is over here, repentance literally means I'm going to turn from my sin, I'm going to put my back to it, and I'm going to look towards God. My full attention is going to be on Him. So this should be easy, but for the people who John is preaching to, the Jews, this is a tough message. The Jews are God's chosen people. They have a history that they live by. They have laws. They have a promise. As descendants of Abraham, they know that God, they might have this feeling that God is going to take care of them. But as a blessed people, as it so often does when people are blessed, it leads to a sense of entitlement or that just feeling like being a part of the family is enough. On the one hand, you have these people who know that they're descendants of Jesus, and so they begin to live in a religious way. They're like, I am a chosen one of God, and I'm going to tell you why you are failing at that life as well. But then on the other hand, you have a group of people who know they're the chosen ones of God, but it might lead to complacency, thinking like, I'm already in. I don't have to do anything else. John's talking to both people, and what does he say to them? He says, you brood of vipers, you don't get it. You're missing the point here. The point isn't that you're sons and daughters of Abraham, that you're the chosen people of God. The point is that you need to repent and live a life that shows repentance, that your heart is changed. It's not enough that we just believe in Jesus. The Jews knew God, but their lives weren't indicative of that repentance. The people who were coming to John were either too prideful of the fact that they were God's chosen or they were entitled to the point of feeling like they didn't need to produce fruit because they were God's chosen people. John prepares the way for Jesus by explaining that your next fill-in is belief and repentance leads to salvation. It's not just belief. It's not just knowing who Jesus is. That's enough. It's that action when you choose to believe and then repent. Believe and then turn to God. It's like believe and then turn from your sin and look, about, look at who Jesus is. If it was enough that you were just born as a Jew, then that would have been fine. But John says, if God wanted just sons and daughters of Abraham, he could pick up rocks and literally make sons and daughters for Abraham. If God wanted sons and daughters of Abraham, he could take my dinner rolls that I made and make sons and daughters for Abraham out of my rock of dinner rolls that I made. The point is not that, that you're a son of God, that you are a son of Abraham, that you're in this chosen line, that you're in this family tree, and now you're chosen, and everyone else is outside of it. John is saying, no, everything's changing. Now, like, your life needs to show repentance. There needs to be fruit there. 
And so it opens it up for everyone. Luke is writing his gospel to people that, don't, that aren't the cho- in the chosen line of Abraham. But he's saying that no longer is it about the line of Abraham. Now it's about everyone can join in on this message of Christ. He's preparing the way for Jesus to come so that everyone can find life through him. And so the people that John is speaking to, they come to him and they begin to ask him, like, they actually say this. And what I love in this verse is three times different groups of people come up to John and say, well, what should we do then? Like, what should we do? Obviously, it's not enough that we're just part of Abraham's family, but what should we do now? And so he says to three different groups, he says, to those blessed with food and possessions, he says, give to those who have little or have nothing or who have less than you and give to those, if you have it, give to those who have none. He says to tax collectors, he says, don't collect any more than you're required to. To the soldiers who might abuse their power, he says, don't steal money from people and accuse them falsely. And then finally, he says, be content with your pay. Like these are practical aspects like of people coming to John and saying, okay, like I get it. Like okay, it's no longer good for me to just be part of the line of Abraham. But what do I do now? And John said, there's practical things you can do. These are the fruit of your repentance. The good fruit comes out of repentance. And so as we see in the next feeling is repentance is a continual action that produces good fruit. And I really want to be clear here. I'm not saying that once we believe and repent, then our forgiveness comes from doing good things. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus said. There's nothing that we can do that earns our salvation, that earns our forgiveness. You can't earn it. You just have to choose it. But John clearly says that when we repent, when we turn from our sin, then good fruit comes out of it. Continual repentance leads to good fruit. What I love about what John said is he's saying, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not like he says, produce fruit because you repented that one time. Produce fruit because you chose that one time and now like just live your life. He says, produce fruit in keeping with it. It's like an action of taking it and continually believing for it. That like maybe every day, like you screw up, you mess up, and you have to repent from your sin. Like I think if we all raise our hands, we would say we're not perfect. Like I'll, I'll raise my hand, but I'm not a perfect person. I sin, I mess up. But John says, repent, hold on to it. Live a life in keeping with repentance. And so it's a continual action where we go before God and say, you know what, God, I, I messed up in this area. I did something wrong. You ask for forgiveness. You turn your back on your sin. You turn your attention towards God, and you walk in that, and you produce fruit. John three fifteen through 20 is the next part of the story we're reading this morning. The people were waiting. This is verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, 
and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this list the, the worst thing of all. He locked up John in prison. And so this is the last thing we, we, we'll hear about John one more time specifically. But like, this is the last part of the story. It's not a lot that John has done. It's not, he hasn't lived a, he hasn't like done a huge much that we, we learn from Luke. But it's important that we see what he's saying here. This is the end of John's story. But John's saying, if you're coming to me for an answer, the people are thinking, well, John's saying this new message. Is he actually Jesus? Like, is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is what people are wondering. And John says, if you're coming to me for the answer, then you need to look to Jesus. He's to come and he's the answer. Someone greater than I is coming. Scholars paint the picture of John's attitude perfectly because they explain kind of what John was saying when he says, uh, I'm not even fit to untie the sandals of the one who is to come. And that one who is to come is Jesus. Because they explain that feet were just this, like, nasty thing, like, in this culture. I mean, if you think about it now, there's a lot of people that don't like feet now. I know people that, like, think feet are the grossest thing. They just sit in socks all day long, and they stink, and people's shoes stink, and they reek, and it's nasty. Like, feet is a personal thing, you know? Um, but they're, even in this culture, is way worse because you're talking about wearing sandals. They get dirty from a day, like just normal thing. And so what scholars point out is that the Jews, these, the Hebrews, like they had servants who were also Jews, and they also had servants who were non-Jews. And so when you're talking about having a servant untie your shoe, you would never even have a Jewish servant. Even if they were under your care, you would never have them do it because of how dishonorable it was for them to untie someone's shoes. And so John is saying, you know what? I'm not even fit to do the lowest of tasks for Jesus because of how powerful and how awesome Jesus is and how great he is to come. John, this one who was chosen from the beginning, who was set apart from the time he was born, who God gave him his name and who promised him to his parents, and who was lived up separated in the desert, preaching this, this baptism, preaching this repentance. He says, not even I am worthy enough to untie Jesus' of sandals. What John is doing is he's continually pointing to Jesus. He's just pointing to Jesus. And so when I read these passages, I have to think and want to adopt that attitude in my life. Whereas like, you know, I'm not the one with answers. Anything I say is very superficial, but I do know Jesus and I want to point to him in everything that I'm doing. John is saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is to come, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You think you've seen something special today, just wait until you see what is to come. The spirit Jesus brings makes it no longer about family ties, no longer about your family tree. But Jesus comes, and what now matters is the heart. What matters is belief in him. What matters now is repentance, turning from sin and turning towards God. The preparation is set. John is pointing to Jesus, getting people ready for what he's going to do. The weak are now going to be lifted up. The sick are now going to be healed. The disenfranchised, the people who other people never get a thought about, Jesus is going to go to them and say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
It's like a momentous occasion for us to see how we can look at other people as well. It's like John's preparing hearts. He's preparing people. So when we're talking about our own lives and how we respond to this message, is can we prepare ourselves for what Jesus has for us, but can we prepare others as well? So your action steps for today, and I'm going to go into depth a little bit about them, but they're really personal things that we can do. The first one is let God's kindness lead you to repentance. Some people get really uptight when you start talking about repentance and turning from sin is because they think like, well, you know, you're really just judging me for the decisions I've made. You're judging me for the things that I've done, the failures that I've had in my life, and I just really don't like the way you're saying that. And I really hope that it hasn't come across that way today because I mess up just as much as the next person. And I tend to believe that all sin is the same. And so if I do something wrong and you do something wrong, who am I to say that your sin is worse than my sin? But we're all called to repentance. We're all called to turn our back on our sin and turn our face towards Jesus. And if I don't tell you that, then I'm just like, if I just tell you, yeah, it's okay that you keep sinning because you know who Jesus is. It's okay to keep living your life this way because you know who Jesus is. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to just know who Jesus is. You got to repent. You got to turn from the ways that God can bring you from and look towards him. And I'm not saying, saying like, I know the timeline of how that'll happen, or I know the action, the step-by-step process of how you become just this like good-fruited Christian, that you're just perfect now. I don't know the timeline. I don't know how God's going to work that out through you and your life. But I do know that you got to make that decision to turn, to repent, to turn from that. And so talking about people who are judging, Paul in Romans writes Romans 2.4, and he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance? It's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's not some person's words judging you. It's not some person telling you that what you're doing is wrong, but it's the kindness of God's grace and the kindness of his mercy that I would love for you to realize that it's time to turn from your sin and turn towards God. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. So the next point is, point to Jesus and the good news. And what I think we don't realize a lot of times is that Jesus is like such good news. It's like for people who don't have a job, they're searching for employment, for people who might have cancer and are in treatments, for people who are having family struggles because of a decision someone made. You know, if someone tells you all these stories and it's like bad news after bad news. I mean, we turn on the TV and like the mudslide and just like stuff is happening and it's bad news. But like the good news is Jesus. You know when people tell you a story and they, well, this, 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 really negative things. But the good news is, Well, the good news is Jesus. And it's time we start putting that at the forefront. Like no matter what, whatever you're going through, the good news is that you have a Savior in Jesus to walk with you through it. You have a church, the group of believers here to support you, to help you. But the good news 
is Jesus. One of the cool things, one of my friends, his name's Max. He's a barista up in Mill Creek at Spotted Cow. And so he used to grow up in the area of the of the mudslide. And so it's like affected him in a really like tangible way. And so one of the ways things he's doing is he's really good at making like those flowers in the coffee, like latte art and stuff. And so he always posts stuff on Instagram. And so what he did, he started a campaign online that said, hey, if you like fund this like campaign and all the money's going to American Red Cross, he said, I'll teach you how to do latte art. I'll like have you come over to my house if you give this certain amount of money. And then I'll like teach you. He's using practical ways to point people towards Jesus, to like let his fruit come out. And it's awesome to see it because when we have repentance, the good fruit comes out of us. And it's like awesome to see how that practical way, like when, G, when John said, you know what, what you can do, like when people came to him and said, well, what should we do now? It's like, well, yeah, you should give to people who are in need. You should do practical things. That's the good fruit you're looking for. Like I look at my friend Max and I see what he's doing. And like that's a practical good fruit that I can see coming out of his life of repentance and of following Jesus. And so we need to learn to point to Jesus and his good news. And then finally, the third third thing is prepare the way for Jesus and continue to pray for your Easter guest list. Like, that's just one of the practical ways. In your um, handout as you came in, there's like a bookmark, and it has a spot for three lines to write someone's name in there. Like, that's you preparing the way for someone to know Jesus. That's your way of being a John in our culture and in our time today, is to pray for someone. Maybe to invite them. There's invites in there as well. But to just say, hey, my church is having an Easter service. We're going to be doing some pretty cool stuff for kids. Also, would you want to come and do that with us? Like, that's preparing the way. There's no, like, practical way I can ever explain it. But you're preparing the way. You're preparing a heart for the coming of Jesus in their life. And it's awesome. That's a way that you can be a John. So, like, these three things we talk about, they're at the bottom of your page. But you should think about them, like, personally. How can I respond to John's message? But how can I help others respond to, to John's message? And all of it revolves around Jesus preparing the way for him to come, for him to affect hearts, for him to affect lives and tangible things. So I'm going to pray for that. We're going to worship, and then we'll be done today. But God, we just come before you, God, and we just say thank you for sending John and his message. This is the first time where you really say that it's our hearts, God, that matter most. Not the things we do, but it's our heart and our repentance for forgiveness of sins, God. So I pray for people that are struggling with sin in their lives. God, I pray that they would see you, that they would turn their face towards you, God, and literally turn their back on their sin. And would they make practical, tangible decisions to walk in that way? God, I pray for people that have friends in their lives who they just need to be told the good news. They just need to be told who Jesus is and that there's hope through situation. There's hope through trial, God. And finally, God, we just pray for Easter. We pray for the people that you're calling, the people that you're preparing, God. And I pray that we would be obedient to prepare the way for others, God. That we'd be obedient to invite people, that we'd be obedient to really say, God, you're coming, and I want other people to see it. So God, be with us as we worship. Be with us this week. And I just pray your blessing on all these people here in your name. Amen.